It is winning season at my bookie. Use promo code Gators on the deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your my bookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC, at Gators Breakdown, coming at you right here, day after. Reaction, review of the game, Georgia 43, Florida 20. We'll break it down right here on Gators Breakdown. Hey, look, Bobby, hear my voice a bit. Yeah, had a good time. Had a good time at the game, of course, uh, pregame. And for a little while in the first quarter, uh, but not much beyond that. But you can hear it in my voice there. You know, got to be a fan yesterday. Uh, always a fan, of course, but in the stands, in the stands yesterday. So excuse the voice a little bit. Excuse the voice. It's all squeaky and cracky and all that good stuff. But hey. Fun time besides the game anyway. All right, we'll get into it, of course. Uh, not, not a beautiful performance. Not anything like I thought it was going to play out. Uh, of course, you know, it was probably going to either be, if Florida was going to win, probably a close victory. Um, I was picking a closer, a closer Georgia win, uh, but Georgia just pounds Florida once again, 43-20. Plenty to get into here. On this episode of Gators Breakdown, hey, you know, I know you don't like the results, but hey, like the work we're doing here, like this video, subscribe to Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform if you haven't done so right there either. But all that support goes a long way right here on the YouTube version of Gators Breakdown. GatorsBreakdown.com. You can find Billy Napier's post game transcript. It's up there right now. What he had to say after the game. We'll get into a little bit of that here on this episode as well. Uh, and then, hey, um, this week, too, uh, if you're coming in town to Gainesville for the Arkansas game, remember, there's a Friday night event at the baseball field with four Florida Victorious members. You get 20% off your first month using promo code GatorsBD, but you'll be able to interact with other athletes, other student athletes out there, uh, also former players. Shannon Snell is going to be there with his great barbecue. Uh, that's Friday evening at the baseball park, Condren Ballpark, right there. Four Florida Victorious members. Link is in the description to join. And also Gators Breakdown Plus as well, where you can get your ad-free episodes, get access to the Discord chat, extra episodes, Q&As, all that good stuff there. Gators Breakdown Plus. Link is in the description to join that as well. So. Man, oh man, oh man, man, 25 straight wins for Georgia right now. They extend their school record for consecutive regular season wins to 35. Last loss, of course, in that streak was 2020 Florida. Uh, they're now 41 and one in their last 42 games. And it, hey, go to the start of the game and man. We got the fast start we wanted. Got the, especially on offense, just right down the field, put a touchdown up on the board, hold Georgia to a field goal, their first drive, and you felt like Florida was going to have something for Georgia. You felt like this, okay, 
what we kind of been discussing the last couple of weeks going into this game. All right, maybe we do have something for it. Maybe Florida can can give Georgia a game here. Uh, then we'll go to the second drive. But on the second drive, you know, he had a second eight and ETN runs right edge for a big 13-yard gain, his best run of the day. Follows that up with a 10-yard run to get the midfield, and that's where it starts falling apart. Um, you know, the offense doing great things up to that point. Seven plays on the first drive. You had gains of 27, 9, 25 by Wilson. So he was a huge, huge part of the game plan, especially early. That scripted drive, you know, Wilson involved there. Mertz putting the ball on him. Yards after the catch was big there. And you had three more plays to start the second drive where it still was looking good to start that second drive. You had those two ETN runs I mentioned. So 10 plays in the game and we're feeling good on offense. 10 plays in the game for the offense, feeling good, and it just all comes crashing down. Florida tries jet sweep reverse from Wilson to Pearsall that loses six yards on first down. Two plays later, Mertz sack fumble for a loss of 13. Damian George just gets ran by, barely even puts a hand on Jalen Walker for Georgia as he gets to Mertz, and it was an avalanche from there. Defense got Georgia to third and four on the next drive, only for Beck to have all day. Florida bringing six rushers. That leaves Ra Ra Thomas to gain 19 yards on third and four. Jalen Kimber can't take a correct angle, lets that play go for more yards than it should have. Two plays later, another explosive given up by this Gator defense and really, really inexcusable. You bring in three rushers. Princely almost gets there as it is a route down the field. Caught 17 yards down the field at the Florida 24 by Ladd McConkey, and somehow you got about five Florida defenders close enough to make a play, and none of them do. None of them do. McConkey runs into the end zone for a Georgia touchdown. I mean, Jason Marshall gets beat bad on the route and then takes himself out of the play after the catch. Somehow just lets McConkie run right by him. Doesn't really wants run full speed once McConkie cuts, cuts it back inside. Just an inexcusable play. 41-yard touchdown for Georgia to take the lead there. Next drive for Florida starts with a face mask against the Guacan. Montreux Johnson has a nice 12-yard run a couple plays later to the UGA right edge. I mean, running on the edge like we previewed. And here comes the fourth and short. Florida's own 34-yard line. Billy Napier's going for it. And I wish Billy Napier had the confidence in just running it there. Not a trick play. I don't hate that a trick play was called, but I hate that he felt the, felt the need to have to call a trick play. And trick play results are always revisionist history. If they work, it's the greatest call ever. If they don't, it's the dumbest play call ever. But I, ha- I wish he had had the confidence to get a yard just by lining up, quarterback sneak, quick handoff, get some push up front. Look, and I said in the preview, one thing I was going to be looking for, you may not get a lot of ground, ground yards, may not be able to rush the ball a lot. But what were you going to do in short yardage situations? It was something I was looking at, and it was going to be critical for the run game. But that's not even what was called. I, you know, maybe there's not much confidence in the offensive line to get a push. That's part of the issue too. But you're backed up. 
way deep in your own territory. And my thing is, if you don't have the confidence to pick up a yard in a run game, I'd probably punt. I don't think I'm trying to trick play in that situation. So Billy Napier was asked about it, about throwing the ball there. It was fourth and inches. Does it show a little bit of concern of how daunting Georgia's defensive front can be? And he responded, no, I think ultimately I got conviction about the call. I mean, you can go a lot of different directions. We can sit here. That's one of many plays a day that probably we'd like to have back. But it's not necessarily about the plays at times. It's about the players. It's about the execution. We can certainly call better plays at times today. But ultimately, it comes down to the execution of the play. That's what he had to say. But Florida in really, really bad, bad spot there. The play wasn't even close. I mean, it's the ETN pass. Trying to probably hit Pearsall. Maybe, if if he could have got the pass off, maybe barely get it to Pearsall for... You probably barely get it, even if you can complete the pass, but Pearsall was kind of covered. So the pass would have had to be a dime on the mark. And it's probably was still questionable if Pearsall would have got it anyway. So, of course, Georgia scores a few plays later. Short field to work with. Florida can't set the edge. Tyreek Sapp gets shoved inside. Scooby can't make the play. Three other guys never get Dejon Edwards as he scores from 20 yards out. 17-7 Georgia at this point. First play, next drive, Mertz is sacked. Very, I mean, Damian George beat very next play. Mertz has the ball swatted out of his hands. Georgia recovers the fumble. I mean, just trying to get back into the game. 17-7. Of course, it's still very attainable at that point. But Mertz is sacked on the first play. Next play, George is beat again. And it's a fumble. You can't, you got to protect the ball better in that situation. And look, George's defense hadn't been getting much pressure all season. Just abusing the Florida offensive line. The trenches, I think for a lot of you, but I certainly made it known last week was my biggest worry why I couldn't pick Florida to win this game. I knew Georgia was going to be the better trench team, but you were hoping the way this season had been progressing a little bit, the trends that we were seeing with Georgia's defense not being able to necessarily put a complete performance together as far as creating havoc, rushing to pasture, you would hope that would, would, would lend itself into a bit better performance. I didn't expect Florida's offense line to get beat that bad. Even though I, th- I knew it was advantage Georgia, that was a big reason I was picking Georgia. It was a complete mismatch. Florida's offensive line recruiting continuing to show up there. It's been bad. These transfers haven't made that big of a difference. I mean, thankfully, Florida has them. I don't know where they'd be without them, but it hasn't really elevated the play of the offensive line. Trenches were my biggest worry. Certainly played out that way. Georgia's got the ball, scoring fourth and one from the two-yard line. Florida, no push whatsoever. 24-7. Game's over pretty much at that point. Whatever your game plan was was pretty much out the window with 10 and a half minutes to go in the first half. Florida goes three and out. Next drive, Mertz sacked again on third and 10. Nobody open. No time to even make anything happen. And then we get our big... Our big game special teams wonder. Special teams been better recently, but here we are in a big game, and Georgia gets a block punt. Goes for a safety. 26-7 Georgia at that point. 
to get the ball back after a Georgia punt, go three and out again. Florida offense, three and out. Then get the ball back with a minute 50 left before halftime. This, if you're going to mount any sort of a comeback, this is where you got to get it done. This is where you got to get it done. Minute 50 left before halftime. Mertz finds Pearsall 29 yards near midfield at that point, and then three straight incompletions. 26-7 at halftime. Needed to get something there to have a chance. Second quarter, Florida had 20 total yards compared to Georgia's 109. Turnovers, block punt. Georgia had short fields, still had 109 yards. Negative nine yards rushing for Florida at that point. Sacks counted into that in the second quarter. Two of seven passing, 0 for three on third down. Second quarter was disastrous. After Florida's opening touchdown drive, the Gators' final five possessions of the half resulted in 42 yards on 23 plays. Georgia, four sacks in the first half. Coming into the game, they had 12. And then four on this Gators offensive line. So that was pretty much the game right there. Pretty much great start. Couldn't hold it. Had a chance. Midfield up seven to three. And then it all just comes crashing down. Not much better in the third quarter to mount any sort of comeback. Florida went three and out to start the third in their first offensive possession. 72 total yards in the third. 0 for 2 on third down. Georgia gains 167 in the third quarter. 3 of 5 on third down. Georgia scores 10 in the third quarter, putting the game completely away. They possess the ball for 8 minutes and 40 seconds in the third quarter. 36 to 7 after 3. Fourth quarter starts. Montreal Johnson, 48-yard run to the Georgia 24. Mertz finds Hanson a few plays later. Two-point fails. 36-13 Georgia. Then the dogs respond, six-and-a-half-minute drive, 10 plays, 75 yards to go up, 43-13. Mertz Bearsall hook up a couple times on the next possession. The drive ends with a sneak for a touchdown for Mertz, 43-20 at that point. Game is over. Georgia kneels the ball. Victory formation to win the game. But to second, this, I mean, the game was the game was made in the second quarter for Georgia. Made it entirely too easy. I mean, don't give them credit, too, for pressuring Mertz, but, you know, sacks, pressure in his face. But, man, after the start, you just you felt good. We've killed this team about not, no, not the fast starts. You know, starts away from the swamp. Not, have not been there. You got one. You got one this game. You were up 7-3 at midfield and couldn't capitalize. Could not capitalize. But we'll get into more. We'll look at stats, what that meant for the game, and some more reaction here. Maybe some big picture things for this game. But that was the way it played out the second quarter, winning it for the Dogs. Before we move forward, hey, guys, when your money's on the line, choose a trusted sports book that gives you the tools to win, like my bookie. 
at my bookie. It doesn't matter if your team is up or down. You can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. Use my bookie for daily odds boost, same game parlays, and take advantage of huge prize pool contests. Plus, my bookie has a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Just use promo code Gators on your first deposit and receive up to $200 in cash. That's promo code Gators to claim your own cash bonus now. Try the MyBookie money bag to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at long shot odds. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only at MyBookie. All right, uh, let's take a look at some final stats here. What it meant for the game for the Gators. If you're on YouTube, you can follow along. I'll try to explain as best I can, but total yards, 486 for Georgia, 339 for the Gators. Rushing yards, 171 for Georgia, 109 for the Gators. Georgia with 38 rushing attempts, 25 for the Gators. I mean, average yards per rush, you're you're counting sacks in this for Florida as well. I mean, not that much different. Four and a half for Georgia, 4.4 for Florida. Three rushing touchdowns for Georgia, one for Florida. Yards gained on the ground, 178 for Georgia. Only lost seven yards on the ground. Florida, when you start throwing the four sacks in there, Florida gained 145 yards on the ground, but you got to take away 36 of that. Most of that due to the sacks on Graham Mertz. Passing yards, 315 for Carson Beck. Hey, no Brock Bowers, no problem for him. We'll get into that in just a second. 230 for Florida. 19 of 28 there for Beck, 25 of 34 for Graham Mertz. Completion percentage there, of course, 74% for Mertz, you know, doing well there again. Uh, 68% for Carson Beck, but that's the difference. I mean, look at that. The next stat here, average per completion. You had 16.6 for Carson Beck in Georgia, 9.2 for Graham Mertz. So while the completion percentage was higher, the ball was not going down the field. That's one reason the completion percentage for Graham Mertz was where it was at. Ball was not going down the field at all. 160 yards after the catch for Florida, 172 for Georgia, two passing touchdowns apiece. Average yards per play, 7.4 for Georgia, 50 or uh, 7.4 for Georgia, 5.7. Georgia with 38 rushes, 28 passes. Florida with 25 rushes, 34 passes. In the red zone, both teams perfect, but Georgia's six attempts in the red zone. Six for six. Two field goals, three touchdowns for Georgia. Third downs. We knew this was going to be a key stat. Florida's third down offense Pretty pedestrian so far this year. That continued. Four of 11 for the Gators. Georgia was 50%, six of 12 on third down. Also, they were one for one on fourth down, and that was a touchdown. Florida 0 for 2 on fourth down. Talked about the uh, failed ETN pass trick play. So Florida going a combined four of 13 on third and fourth down. Not many penalties. Florida didn't shoot themselves into penalties, really. 
Two for 17. Georgia had two for 10. Tackles for loss. Look, we mentioned leading up to this game, Georgia had been struggling getting into the backfield. Not against Florida. Eight tackles for loss. Four sacks. Two forced fumbles. They recovered their first fumble of the season. These are official stats here, but also I don't know how you get, you know, four sacks, but only one quarterback hurry. So <laughs> these are official stats, but some of them are off. Some of them are off. But if you go to Florida here, let's take a look at the stats for Florida. 25 of 34. Graham Mertz, 230, two touchdowns. Get Trey Wilson. Career high, 11 catches there, 75 yards, one touchdown, and certainly a focal point early on in the offense. Completely owned Georgia that first drive. Big touchdown to start the game for him. 65 yards after the catch. Ricky Pearsall, six for 99. And that was about it. That was about it for the Florida passing game. As far as number of catches and yards, it was pretty much Wilson and Pearsall, which we expected but I brought it up on the Gators Breakdown Plus chat we had last week and in some other conversations I was having with some other people. I was like, hey, there's going to have to be somebody else that shows up besides those guys. And it just it, it, no, nothing else was there. I mean, credit Hanson for his touchdown catch, of course, but you know, Arliss Boardingham, not much. One for, four, one for 14. The player we have been looking at has really stepping up his game the last couple of weeks. As I said, Florida probably got put out of their game plan early in the second quarter. Found yourself down, but Wilson, Pearsall, pretty much the entire offense, at least as far as the passing game goes. And I was coming into the game on the preview. I said, you know, I, I expected some quick passes, and that's what Florida had to rely on because of how Georgia was pressuring the quarterback. But I expected maybe the running backs to be some benefactors there. They were not. Lontro Johnson, two catches, 14 yards. ETN, one for one. So there was nothing there. Nothing there. Rushing. Now, take that into account, of course. And Montreal Johnson, nine for 82. Had the big 48-yard run, 9.1-yard average. That was the start of fourth quarter, that big run for him. ETN, nine to 28. Not a lot there. 3.1 yards. The 17-yard run was the longest. Webb comes in late in the game, four for 17. So... 4.3 yard average there. So um, I would have loved to seen if this game in the first half, you know, the offense didn't kind of fall on themselves and what would have happened if Florida was able to continue running the ball. It's taken out of that part. The part had to be taken out of the game plan, given what was happening. You found yourself down big early. Would have loved to see what would happen. Montreal Johnson, pretty much pretty good day. Pretty good day. Uh, on the defensive side, Prince of Human Miela, nine total tackles. Tackle and a half. Tackle for loss. Two quarterback hurries. I know a lot was made about his Twitter interactions later in the week, but he was the best defender on the field for Florida against Georgia. Jordan Castell, eight. Bryce Thornton, eight. Your two safeties there. Your two, two true freshman safeties. Eight tackles apiece in this game. Shamar James beat up out there. 
injured in pregame. Apparently something to do with the turf. I had a brace on his knee. So something happened there. Uh, five tackles for him. Scooby with five as well. Pyburn sat McClellan. Pyburn sat with four. McClellan, Hill, Banks, Lions with three. And when you start looking at that, I mean, it's, ah, if Florida was going to do anything defensively, it was going to start up front. And it just could not, could not do anything, could not get pressure on Beck whatsoever. I expected if Florida was going to play good on defense, you were needing to have big days from Sapp and Jackson and Banks. But just no difference makers there. Georgia just running off, up and down the field in the first half. We'll get into more and that as well. But hey, let's go to the other side. Georgia stats, we'll just quickly go through them. 19-28 for Carson Beck, 315 yards. Lad McConkey, 6 for 135 and one touchdown. Dominic Lovett, 4 for 83. Those are two difference makers at receiver for Georgia. Dejan Edwards, Georgia running back, six to 16 rushes, 95 yards, two touchdowns. Kendall Milton, 13-55. Or 13 attempts, 55 rushes, 4.2 yard average. So Georgia on the day, 38 rushing attempts, 171 yards, 4.5 yard average. So Edwards really hurt Florida in the first half, uh, of course. Killed Florida in the first half. Big runs there. 4.5, I would have taken that had you given it to me (laughs) uh, before the game. But in the end... Carson, Carson Beck's 315 yards, making a big difference there. And look, that's where we got to go. Got to go there. The big storyline coming into the game, of course, was what was Georgia going to do without Brock Bowers? And they still go for 315 yards through the air. Defensive line couldn't affect Beck at all. Couldn't get him off his platform. He was... Comfortable, and that had been the storyline coming into the day or coming into the game of, hey, Georgia's been pretty good at protecting Carson Beck all season long. Could that change? And it just wasn't. At times, it just looked like the defensive line, just no burst whatsoever, bursting upfield. This looks slow on get off. Beck started five of five to five different receivers. So you saw right away he had confidence. And even though Brock Bowers wasn't on the field, to spread the ball out. Two receivers, McConkey, 54 yard long. Love it. Along a 55 career long for him. It just continued the explosives on the Florida defense. A continued issue. And it reared its ugly head again. McConkey he had his second career 100-yard receiving game. Finished with six receptions, 135 yards, both career highs for him. So, Lad McConkey, hey, no Brock Bowers, it don't matter. Lad McConkey's just going to go out there and hit career highs. 41-yard touchdown catch. It's his first touchdown of the year, too, by the way. He's been injured. And then Dominant Lovick, four receptions for 83 yards. A career-long 55-yard reception from Beck was his longest completion as well. So you look at it, and when's Corey Raymond's development supposed to be paying off back there on the back end? Because I ain't seen it. 
I'm not seeing it. Jason Marshall's regressed. Not a very aggressive group back there on the back end. And that's not just a Georgia problem. We've been seeing the contested catches go toward the offense entirely way too many times this year. And then when you go against the elevated player talent level of Georgia, yeah, I mean, they're going to make the most of it. I mean, every time a contested catch was, you know, if a defender is within stopping the Georgia receiver, it was a Georgia receiver making the play, not the Florida defender. And I'm just not seeing it in defensive back, or specifically a corner. Kimber's so up and down, but had a really bad game, this game versus Georgia. I mean, it's going to, I guess the development is going to have to start taking place with the young guys, but your experienced guys, Marshall Kimber, you know, under Corey Raymond, I would expect better play. And we're not getting it. And hey, look, I mean, I don't like calling him out, but when's the last time Corey Raymond's been part of a good pass defense? Even dating back to his last late years at LSU. It's been a while. You know, and if it was a bunch of young guys who needed the time and the reps to get better, then okay. But when it's Kimber and Marshall out there and those guys have enough experience, Corey Raymond's development should be paying off. And it's not. Now, it's also at the same time, it's hard to ask those guys to cover for so long if your defensive line's not getting there. But like I said, I'm going specifically to the contested catches. When those guys are in position to make plays and they're not making the plays. Now, like I said, that's, this, it's a continued problem and just been zoomed in on, heightened in the Georgia game. But with Corey Raymond supposed to be leading the charge there, I expect better play in the defensive backfield, and we're not getting it. So just no aggression whatsoever from, from the defensive backfield. I mean, in this game, the aggression, not much there at all. I mean, Georgia was able to take advantage up front, on the back end, just didn't matter. All right, so I think, you know, going to this, a lot of people were using this game, and rightfully so, it's fair, as a measuring stick, where is Florida, and compared to Georgia. This was a chance. Said all week, you know, this it could be a statement game. And Georgia had some questions coming in. Could Florida take advantage of the questions? No, it couldn't. And if you were using this game as a measuring stick, if you're using it as a sign of progress, well, Saturday didn't didn't make you feel any better. And now I, I said it all, I think you know, I said it. When Will and I got together last Monday night, this team can be progressing, but it may not look like it versus Georgia because they can be that good. It can make look it can make it look like where every sign of progression that you have completely just stops against them. So certainly it did make the point yesterday. It did show us though, no progress was made towards Georgia. You know, as, as good as I felt, Florida wouldn't make this a game. They didn't. Even with a good start, nothing was sustained. 
play calling felt clunky. Look, and it's hard versus Georgia, but there was hardly any consistent threat from the Florida offense. Georgia's defense, too good for East-West. Also too good to run it right at them. That's the reality of playing that team. That defense that gets you know, recruited at a high level, developed at a high level, coached with at a high level. All progress that I still think this Florida team is making, there was a good chance it was just going to come crashing down, or hit the Georgia wall. And this game looked like recent Florida-Georgia games and looked completely outmatched. And I look, I get the talk out there that, you know, from some that this is how it's supposed to look against Georgia. But look, they've played some tough conference games in the last couple of years. Very tough wins last season against Missouri and Kentucky. This year against South Carolina, where they were down 14-3. Auburn, they needed a fourth quarter game-saving Brock Bowers drive. They didn't run away from Vanderbilt until late last week. But Florida isn't making it tough like those other teams are. I'm not ask, we're not asking Florida to go beat Georgia when the talent gap is where it's at. But why can't Florida put themselves in position to be Missouri last year, Kentucky last year, or South Carolina this year and go up 14-3? Or play a f- close fourth-quarter game with them like, you, like Auburn did? Now, part of it is Kirby Smart gets ready for Georgia. He gets amped for Georgia. I mean, Florida. We know that's probably part of it. They have a bye week before Florida. But is it really asking too much for Florida to go play a tough game against Georgia? It shouldn't be. When there's other examples of teams doing it. I get you say, hey, this is probably the way this game is supposed to look. But okay, they've played some tough games in the last couple of years. Florida's not been one of them. So when you talk about progress between the two teams, when you talk about Florida's progress in closing the gap to Georgia, it ain't playing out that way on the field. Right now, anyway. So Georgia, I mean, they've been close to scoring 40 points in this game since 2017. So you were hoping, okay, if the defense is taking its steps, maybe they don't get close to that 40. Well, 43. Florida's only scored more than 20 once. And that was a win in 2020. So, with this win for Georgia, it's the first in series history. This is where I'm talking about the progress. Georgia has beaten Florida three straight years by at least 20 points. For the first time in series history. Even in early series history when Georgia was clearly better. In the 80s when they were clearly better. For much of the 80s. And this is the first time in series history. They've beaten Florida by 20 points in three straight games. 34-7 in 21. 42-20 last year. 43-20 this year. A very similar score to last year's game. 42-20 last year, 43-20. So there's, that's the progress you're talking about. Given Georgia's struggle so far this season, you could see a path 
for Florida to play a tough game here. And with the progress we've seen on offense lately, and some of the spurts we've seen in defense this season, but this one looked like a repeat. So Napier was asked after the game, Georgia's obviously the gold standard in the league. What do you take away big picture-wise? And Napier says, I think it all matters. I think every single part of what we do matters. The evaluation of players matter. The recruitment of players matter. Ultimately, you need continuity in the system. You need to develop players. This is a developmental game. You need players in your system for multiple years. I do think that ultimately a set of intangibles, a set of values that I think resonates with the players, that they play with effort, that they play with toughness, they play with discipline, it all matters. And they're a good example of that. I think this is the eighth year for Kirby, and look, we've got work to do to chase them down. There's no denying that. And we're in the middle of that process, in the middle of that journey. So it causes you to respect all parts of building a team, ultimately. I think there's a number of things that can be done better from just game day, situational football. They do it all well. And today, we gave them a little bit too much. So if you're Florida, as I said, if you are making progress on offense, if Vanderbilt and South Carolina are supposed to be a sign of progress, those defensive spurts we've seen this year, the Tennessee game, but that's progressing the wrong way. But if you're going to get back to that, then we need to start seeing it. You know, where does Florida go from here to show Georgia is the only team that is going to halt the progress? No shame in it being Georgia that does that. Now, I warned against it all week. You know, if there is progress being made, that may not show up versus Georgia. But if it is being made, we need to see it to finish out the season. And look, that starts immediately. That starts next week versus Arkansas. And you take last year as an example, defeat versus Georgia, very similar score. Florida was able to go on the road and beat a bad Texas A&M team. We need to see that same response this week versus Arkansas. Don't let Georgia beat you twice. If you really are making progress, we will see that next week. I don't care. It's a noon game. And we've heard the noon game against Kentucky. We had problems getting up for that game. I don't want to hear that. If you are making progress, we will see it Saturday. If the offense is getting better from the Vandy and South Carolina performances, then we need to see that Saturday. If the defense can rally, if the defense can start fixing some of the issues, we need to see that Saturday. Arkansas's offense is bad. And it's been bad. You know, South Carolina, they're known for their offense. Putting up some points. You could see where they were, they were going to put some points on Florida's defense. Georgia, you know what they were going to do? Or could do. But against Arkansas... If you're making progress on defense, no, you can't let them look better. I don't care if they're coming off a of bye week. They just fired their offensive coordinator and Dan Enos. If we're make, if Florida is making progress, we will see it on both all three phases of the game: offense, defense, special teams.
So hopefully, Georgia is the only team that can stop the progression you should be making a season and a half in. Go out there, put together a November to remember. We know what progress looks like. We'll know what it looks like. Certainly didn't see it against Georgia as they beat Florida 43-20. to So the progress of closing the gap, yeah, that didn't play out. That didn't play out at all on Saturday. The progress of taking advantage of a Georgia team, missing Brock Bowers, not being able to create havoc throughout the year, you know, that all that stuff didn't matter. All that stuff didn't matter on Saturday. All right. There we go. Game review. A little bit of reaction. Will and I will get together Monday. We'll have a little bit more. Guys, thanks for hopping in. I see you in the comment section. See a lot of Neil Evans saying we'll beat Arkansas, then finish six and six and play Memphis in the Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, I mean, after what we saw, I mean, are we really feeling confident Florida's going to go to LSU and win, Missouri and win, Florida State at home? I mean, in some ways, Arkansas is a must-win, especially for bowl eligibility and having confidence moving forward. Gator Nation 2.0, we are the youngest team in the SEC. Yep, I get that. But when Jason Marshall, Jalen Kimber, transfers, Damian George, you know, those guys, they're not freshmen. They're not young. Those were the guys that were getting beat yesterday against Georgia. No shame. No shame because it's Georgia, but that has nothing to do with being the youngest team in the country. Jason Marshall's performance, Jalen Kimber's performance, Damian George's performance. Yeah, that goes what Gmail CGS, I guess that's what he was saying. Yep, saying too. There are veterans in the lineup, and those guys need to play like veterans. I get inconsistency with young guys. Absolutely, I do. Not with what we're seeing with some of the experienced players. All right. Let's go see. Going through some of the comments. Sorry for the. Port Dog brings up a point. Great content, Dave. Hope y'all give up on Napier because if he keeps up recruiting and gets a good OC, he can really do damage at Florida. Well, I mean, that, that, that's, big, that's the big storyline. I mean, if you want to keep hope, recruiting is that hope. Going well now, 
Hopefully a good finish to the season for Florida. And then that continues. I would expect an offensive coordinator to be on the sideline next year or in the booth, however they do that. But, you know, just speaking lingo here, yeah, I, I expect Florida to have an offensive coordinator. Um, and then that will be that will be the, I guess, what, turning point of seeing what the future will be. If you make an OC change, recruiting at a high level, then there's not much excuses left. You'll be in year three. You'll have to see where it goes at that point. But as far as yesterday goes, like I said, I, I know you were probably taken out of your game plan early. That's your fault as well, you know, but, uh, a lot of the time. Uh, but play calling, um, the, I wish you felt a little bit more confident in just running for that fourth and short. And then after that, once you got out of, once you were taken out of your game plan, play calling just really did, didn't do much favors for Florida. Yep. Uh, on, on that same, and I've brought this up too on the Gators Breakdown Plus chat, but I'm assuming another dog fan in here, a dog, but it does bring up a good point, guys. Eli Drinkwitz, of course, from Missouri. Fans weren't happy with him. They were hearing the, they were loud about their head coach calling plays and it just being a little clunky. He hires an OC and you see Missouri's offense now. And that's going to be probably the path for Billy Napier as well. Now, here's the thing. It's got to pay off right away, like it is at Missouri. I mean, when you make this change, we can't use in year three for Billy Napier the excuse of, well, it's the first year in an OC, this could be some growing pains. Well, should there be growing pains in year three? Especially when now there's another example of an SEC East team doing it. Granted, they had Cook returning. They got some weapons at receiver. But that's the way they constructed their team. You constructed your team your way. If you make the change at OC, it needs to bear fruit right away. Maybe Graham Mertz is back next year. So a similar situation where a returning quarterback gets a new OC and the offense takes off. It's packages for Lagway. There's a path. Yeah, Richard brings up a good point here. We lost the game in five minutes. Certainly. I mean, that second quarter was pitiful. And just not being able to build on a good start. That's another frustrating part for me. You finally get the good start. I mean, think about recent Florida-Georgia games. And Georgia has just went up by a couple of scores almost right away. Not this one. And as I said, you had them down 7-3. You're at midfield. And then the avalanche comes. So that's part of the inexcuse, the inexcusable part of this game for me. Is you got that good start. And then found a way to just get it completely washed away. It didn't even matter. All right. Oh, okay, Dave, uh, my bad, dude. <laughs> I didn't mean to call you a dog fan since you're not a dog fan. Uh, so, all right. My bad. <laughs> my bad. All right. 
All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Thanks for joining us. I know it was tough. 43-20, Georgia win. Hopefully down the road, we won't have many of these, but it's where we're at right now, unfortunately. All right, I'm your host, David Waters. Find me on social media, at GatorDave underscore SEC and at Gators Breakdown. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining me on this episode of Gators Breakdown.